Welcome to Minnesota Military Radio. I'm your host, Tom Lyons. On today's show, we're going to meet a gold star son and hear his story of losing his birth father in Vietnam. And we're going to meet the new VFW Department Commander. But first, it's time for Generally Speaking, a weekly message from the Adjutant General of the Minnesota National Guard, Major General Sean Mankey. Fall is a special time of year here in Minnesota. While it may seem sad to leave the fun of summer behind, we can always find something special to celebrate. Today, I want to celebrate a proclamation from the Governor of Minnesota. In recognition of approaching 13 years on the air and 700 unique shows, Governor Walls has proclaimed Thursday, 28 September 2023 as... Minnesota Military Radio Day in Minnesota. Congratulations to Tom Lyons, iHeartMedia, and all the partners and listeners who have made Minnesota Military Radio what it is today. I am proud to be a contributor to the show and look forward to its continued success in the future. Thank you, General Mankey. For more information, please go to minnesotamilitaryradio.com. Joining me now is Representative Dean Phillips from Minnesota's 3rd District, the United States House Representatives and uh, they service uh, Hennepin and Anoka counties here in Minnesota. Representative Phillips, welcome back to Minnesota Military Radio. I'm so honored to be with you, Tom. Sir, uh, glad that uh, we caught you when you were in town and you had a chance to stop by so that we could have a little chat. And We want to talk today a little bit about your birth father, who was a gentleman named Arthur Thomas Pfeffer, born in St. Paul on March 5, 1943. Uh, his father died when he was 12, and his mother, Ruth, raised two sons. And already met your mother, D.D. D. Cohen, at St. Paul Central High School, uh, where he excelled in hockey and, and baseball, and the two married in 1967. Artie couldn't afford a, uh, tuition, so he attended the University of Minnesota Law School on an ROTC scholarship. This was all before you were born, of course. Yes, it was. And uh, Artie uh, graduated, was editor of the Minnesota Law Review, and graduated magna cum laude 1967, and then he had to pay the price. He was in the ROTC, and... He deployed to Vietnam as a captain in the United States Army in 1968 when your mother was seven months pregnant with you. That's right. That goes back a long way and, and of course, goes back to my time. Uh, just He went over there just before I went to Vietnam, and, and uh, unfortunately, uh, he didn't make it home. He did not, and uh, I, th- I think about him every day, Tom. I, I was a uh, dog tag in my pocket, and... Every vote I take, every time I take out that voting card, I, I think of him and what a government can do to provide education and also what governments can do to actually sacrifice human life, even if it comes in the defense of our country. Oh, I understand that uh, you recently had an opportunity to go to Vietnam to, to visit over there, and, and we're going to get into that story in the second segment. But I want to talk about uh, 50 years later. Yeah. You're now a congressman. What would Artie have thought about the fact that uh, his son, and I've seen the, the photos and heard some tapes today, looked just like you, sounded just like you, you're serving the nation in the United States uh, House of Representatives? You know, I'd like to think that it's a no small, no small part because of him uh, and, and you and people who sacrifice so much uh, to ensure that we have freedom and liberty and possibility and opportunity. Uh, as a father of two wonderful daughters, uh, I wanted to show them, too, that you can't take this for granted. And those who uh, participate in public service, uh, those who serve in the military uh, to defend our country, uh, I think are the most honorable people uh, in, in the United States. And I want to inspire a new generation of people to be participants. Uh, those who take this for granted uh, will have uh, a nightmare someday. And that's what I'm trying to do and, and remind people that there are a lot of ways to serve. You can be a teacher, you can be a firefighter, a police officer, serve in the military, 
uh, or pursue public office. And whether it's uh, city councils or school boards, uh, we need people to participate in democracy, Democrats, Republicans, uh, to protect it. And there are lots of ways to defend this country, both domestically and abroad. And you've had quite a journey since uh, since you were born. I understand you were born in the Richard Nixon's inauguration day. On that day, January 20th, 1969. And your mother was fortunate to, to meet a gentleman by the name of Eddie Phillips, yep. the son of advice columnist Deb, uh, Dear Abby in 1972. And he adopted and raised you as one of his own, bringing you into uh, quite a family and quite a family experience. Yeah, I've been a very lucky guy, Tom. I. I, I tell many that I've had the very best in nurture and nature, uh, both my father, Artie, who gave me life, and my father, Eddie, who adopted me and provided mentorship and opportunity. And, uh, man, I loved very, very much. I was very fortunate. And I've lived on both sides of advantage. Uh, Artie came from very little and had to work for the very little he had. Uh, took an ROTC scholarship, of course, to pursue his education. Uh, I think he would have been successful uh, in his career, surely, but... I didn't have much, and I was adopted into a family that was extraordinarily blessed. And I just realized how lucky I am for so many reasons, and something I think about every day. And you had an opportunity as being part of Eddie, Eddie Phillips' family to learn business and mm-hmm. go to college and yeah. do a lot of things that culminated in you running for uh, congressman in uh, 2018. That's right. You know, I was taught responsibility and not to take this for granted. And as a uh, a child of an immigrant family, like so many probably of our listeners right now, uh, those who uh, gave up a lot uh, to pursue the American dream. Uh, in my case, uh, my family, both maternal and paternal, escaped persecution in Eastern Europe. And, um, and we don't take this for granted. And I think too many young Americans right now are taking it for granted uh, and don't recognize how lucky we are, how fortunate we are to be Americans. And that's why I think my call to action is to participate in this, because if we don't, uh, we're going to have a lot to lose. Yes, sir. We're speaking with Representative Dean Phillips on Minnesota Military Radio. And, uh, Dean, I understand that uh, when you were 10 years old, uh, probably didn't even imagine that Eddie wasn't your father. Right. Your mother told you the story of uh, Artie Pfeffer. Mm-hmm. How did that hit you? You know, it was it was strange. Uh, I don't remember my exact feelings, but uh, it was confusing. Uh, I did not know how to process that. And, uh, but I do remember Tom immediately thinking that I wanted to discover as much as I possibly could about my father. Uh, I asked for photos. Uh, I wanted to meet people that knew him. I wanted my mother to tell me more about him. Uh, and slowly and, but surely over the years, I discovered more about him and, uh, collected those stories, collected those photos and always dreamt about someday, uh, going to see the place where he took his last breath. And I didn't know if I'd ever have that chance. And, um, it was something that I remember thinking the very first time I heard the story uh, of him, that I needed to go there someday and make that my, um, my mission, if you will, my pilgrimage. And I know we're going to talk about that in a few moments. Well, and, and I want to know, how did you balance that? You were fortunate, as you said, uh, with uh, Eddie Phillips. He, he adopted you, treated you as his own son, took good care of you, helped you through all kinds of things in your life. Yeah. And all of a sudden now you know about your birth father. Uh, how do you reach a balance between those two good men? You know, I think that anybody who's adopted can relate to that uh, moment when they when they discover that what they thought to be the truth uh, was a little bit different than they anticipated. I remember a fierce loyalty to my adopted father, Eddie. I didn't want to upset him by asking questions about Artie. So I remember a period of time of uh, trying to be more quiet about that. 
but to his credit, he was supportive uh, of that journey. He wanted me to get to know my family, uh, the Peffer family, Artie's mother, uh, his brother Howard, uh, with whom I've reconnected uh, recently, my Uncle Howard and Aunt Ina. And uh, he was wonderfully supportive uh, of, of that journey uh, to discover you know, who I was. And uh, I really honor, he unfortunately passed away about uh, 11 years ago himself, uh, but during his lifetime, he supported that journey and I think would be thrilled uh, to know that I finally completed that mission. And I understand you've got to, an opportunity to spend uh, some time with uh, Ruth, yeah. uh, who helped raise uh, Artie. Yeah. And did, did, was she able to tell you some stories and fill she in did. Some, some blanks? But i got to tell you, Tom, it was very hard. Uh, she lived in a public uh, housing uh, building in St. Paul. Uh, I found that very difficult as a young kid to visit one grandmother, who you referenced, Dear Abby, who lived in a beautiful home in Los Angeles, and my grandmother, Ruth, who lived uh, very modestly in subsidized housing in St. Paul. It's something I did not understand and, frankly, to this day troubles me. Uh, but she would teach me how to play piano. Uh, she made matzo ball soup for me and, uh, and told stories. But I will tell you, uh, every time I went over there, uh, she would cry uh, because in me she saw Artie, uh, which was, of course, the, one of the great tragedies of her life. And that was hard for me uh, to recognize that I would carry that burden uh, for so many years. And I discovered that this morning when I saw some photos. Oh, yeah. You look remarkably just like him. Had to be really tough on Ruth, but hard on her, but happy yeah. that, that you were here and, and part of Artie was still with us. Yeah, and that's part of my, uh, his legacy is now in me, and that's my responsibility to carry that forward. Uh, Representative Phillips, we've got to, we're going to have to take a short break. When we come back, I want to talk about this recent trip. You were able to take a trip to Vietnam and discover some more things about your birth father, Artie, and uh, I want to talk about that and a little bit about the crash that took his life when we come back. We're speaking with Representative Dean Phillips from Minnesota's 3rd District on Minnesota Military Radio. Please stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Minnesota Military Radio. I'm your host, Tom Lyons. We've been talking today with Representative Dean Phillips, who was a gold star son because he lost his father uh, July 25, 1969, and he was on a, on a Huey. Representative Phillips, I want to read a little bit from the accident report here, if you're okay with that. Absolutely. Your dad was on a mission uh, on that uh, aircraft for four and a half hours. Uh, when they started, it was normal conditions, except there was uh, low ceilings, and they were returning from Bambi Tui to play coup. Weather conditions got worse. They had to fly lower and actually use dead reckoning to find Highway 14 and follow that north towards play coup. Visibility rapidly deteriorated. They had to slow the chopper down, and they had to lower the altitude to 50 feet. Conditions got even worse, and as they were getting closer to Pleiku, the pilot turned right and banked up to try to get his bearings. It was too late. They hit Dragon Mountain, and they hit it, headed upwards, slid up the mountain about 60 meters until the rotor broke away, and then the chopper rolled end over end down the mountain, landed upside down, and burned. And on that day, July 25, 1969, the chopper had four crew and six passengers aboard. There were eight casualties, including your birth father, Captain Artie Peffer. And, sir, I know you've, you've seen this report and since I read it. I wanted to ask you about it, and I also wanted to follow up. Have you ever been able to find uh, the two guys that uh, survived? So, Tom, about 20 years ago, uh, at the advent of the Internet, I was able to finally read that very report that you have in front of you right now. And it told a different story than the family was told back in 1969. The family was told that uh, the helicopter had been shot down, uh, making it seem more heroic, perhaps, than it was. Uh, but when I finally was able to read it, uh, I was on a mission to find those two survivors. Uh, one was named Monkfold and the other Devereaux. 
and I tried every way I knew. I sent letters. I tried to find email addresses. Uh, everything went unreturned. It would take a very strange twist of fate that just happened this year to finally make contact with the one survivor, uh, Mr. Devereaux, Tom Devereaux, uh, who lives to this very day in, in Colorado. And I just went to his 80th birthday uh, and had a remarkable, uh, memorable, and joyful experience giving him a hug. took 54 years uh, to give. And I'm guessing he suffers from some survivor's guilt. Well, I wanted to alleviate him of that, and I think he did, and I think that some of my messages went unreturned for years because of that. And I told him that I wasn't there to apply guilt. I was there to apply some love and appreciation and affection, and uh, it's a hug that uh, meant a lot to both of us. Yeah. And, and Monkfold, I, ter- I just found out recently, uh, died in the early 70s after the war. So uh, Tom Devereaux is the lone survivor. And Mr. Devereaux had to be in shock to see you because you look just exactly like uh, Artie did yep. and sound like him. And he must have gone, oh, my gosh. Yeah, I think it was, uh, you know, his family told me that it was not something that he had talked about at all over the last uh, 50 years. He was terribly injured in the crash. I'm sure had some guilt about being the co-pilot, of course. But it was really important for me to make that journey for me, you know, selfishly, to uh, make contact with him. And uh, I think giving him that hug meant a lot more to him than... Uh, he maybe imagined at the time. Now, we've only got about five minutes left here, yeah. but you were able to take a trip to Vietnam. And when you were there, you coordinated with the U.S. Uh, Embassy in Hanoi yeah. and included stops there. Uh, and I understand you got to see the site where John McCain was shot down. I sure did. That's extraordinary. That, and then you went up to Pleiku to see mm-hmm. Dragon Mountain. And, of course, that's not people think of mountains. It's mountains. Yeah. This is a big hill. A hill in the middle of nowhere. That was part of the problem. Just in the middle of a flat plain and in bad conditions, they flew right into the side. And I have to tell you about this journey. What was so remarkable, Tom, was I was accompanied by, by two others, uh, the daughter of a former North Vietnamese fighter pilot who had dedicated his life after the war to repatriating the remains of both Vietnamese and American pilots, and also a uh, U.S. Marine by the name of Wei Trong, uh, born in Vietnam, raised in Minnesota, if you can imagine that. And he was my military, U.S. military liaison to play coup to Dragon Mountain, along with some Vietnamese officials. I have to also say to those listening, the Vietnamese people were so hospitable, so forgiving, so accommodating, and so friendly. Uh, it was a big part of this remarkable journey. And when we finally made it to, to Dragon Mountain, like you said, more of a hill, we didn't know where the actual crash had happened. And we're walking down a path, looking around, and a man on a motorbike appears, trying to get past us on this path. And our translator stopped him. They engaged in conversation. I asked the translator if he would ask this man if he happened to know anybody, anybody, who might know where this crash happened 54 years ago. And lo and behold, the man replies that he was five years old, and he scavenged the crash site with his brothers on July 26, 1969. He lived on the mountain his entire life, and he showed us exactly where it was. You couldn't make it up, and as we were finally walking up to the site, Tom, this is now a coffee plantation, coffee, beans all over the place, and we're walking up the path to the crash site, and lo and behold, I see two peppers, little red peppers, sitting in the field. And, of course, in German, Peffer is pepper. That was my dad Artie's last name. It was all meant to be, wasn't it? All meant to be. It's, well, they say that coincidence is God's way of staying anonymous. Yeah, and he was working hard that day. Mm, he sure and, was. And how fortunate sure was, was it for you to meet that Vietnamese that yeah. was five years old or whatever, however he was old when that happened, and to show you the exact spot. Yeah, just a miracle. Really fortunate. A miracle. If we had been one minute earlier or one minute later, never would have happened. Did you get some closure from being there and seeing that? You know, Tom, I, I, some, many have asked me that question, did I get closure? And I, I, what I say is, strangely enough, it wasn't about closing something. It was actually an opening. It was... 
it was relieving, it was lightening, uh, and joyful is probably the wrong word, but it was um, inspirational. And it was not closing the door. Yeah, it was peaceful, exactly, Uh, for the first time in my life, because this had been a big question mark. Uh, But to touch, you know, I actually brought some of that dirt home. I got to say prayers, not just for my father, but for the uh, seven other soldiers who died that day. And also to experience it with a North, the daughter of a North Vietnamese fighter, uh, with a Vietnamese-born Minnesota soldier, uh, and me. You know, those are the three stories, uh, triangulated stories that uh, were made that experience even more remarkable, especially as it relates to you know, reconnecting and forgiveness. Now, another quick story I want to get to before we run out of time. Three years ago or so, your mother found a box of audio tapes that you had digitized. And so you were able to hear your yeah. father's voice. And here's your birth father, Artie, singing to your mom. We gotta get out of this place. If it's the last thing we ever do, we gotta get out of this place. Go make a better life for me and you. He was a better soldier than singer, <laughs> let me let me assure you. But what a, what a get, you know, when my mom shared with me that box of tapes, he was a captain in the Army, and he had traded these little reel-to-reel tapes. My mom gave them to me. I went on eBay. I bought an old 1960s Panasonic you know, tape player. I, re- I digitized all those, and I keep them on the phone I have right here in my hand now. And to listen to his words, uh, what he thought of um, the time in Vietnam, and to hear him sing that song uh, is a remarkably joyful does this have an impact on your duties as a representative representing the state of Minnesota, Anoka, Hennepin County, and all the veterans uh, that, uh, that you take care of? Because I know you work hard for veterans. It does. It made a profound impact on me. And I have to say that you know, freedom is not free. Uh, people shed their blood for it. They have uh, for two, you know, over 200 years in this country. Uh, my dad was one of uh, hundreds of thousands, uh, a million total, I think, who've given their lives in service to this country. And I also think about my duty uh, to future generations, uh, to try to try to prevent war whenever we can, but also to be able to ensure that children, gold star children, uh, little boys and girls who've lost their moms and dads in both Iraq, Afghanistan, uh, and other places, uh, can have the same blessing that I just got to experience, to go back to those countries one day to see where their parents took their last breaths. And that's why my work on the Foreign Affairs Committee, so focused on diplomacy, uh, trying to reduce war and conflict and enhance peace uh, is so important. Indeed, pretty important to remember that our service members go where they're ordered to go, and they serve us, and they, and they serve and sacrifice, but their families sacrifice as well. And in the unfortunate circumstance of your birth father, who didn't, didn't make it home, then our Gold Star families uh, sacrifice as well. Yeah. We need to remember that, yeah, we and, do. and we need to pull together as a people uh, and support our service members, our veterans, and their families. Yeah, we do, and that's a big part of my work. We just um, uh, initiated legislation called Love Lives On so that there's not a marriage penalty for spouses of deceased soldiers, and they can claim their benefits. And uh, to anybody listening right now, I ask that you share with me what else I can do and what we can do uh, to improve life and ensure that for a country that uh, finds the resources to send people off to war also finds those resources to take care of you when you come home. That's my responsibility, my obligation and I want to listen to you, so please let me know. Dean, thanks for joining us today, and thanks for sharing so much of your personal story. I think it's going to help a lot of people understand a bit about serving our country, whether it be in the military or in Congress, right. however you choose to serve. 
So thank you for joining us, and thanks for sharing. Thank you, Tom. That was Representative Dean Phillips from Minnesota's 3rd District on Minnesota Military Radio. Please stay with us. When we come back, we're going to meet the new VFW Department Commander. Welcome back to Minnesota Military Radio. I'm your host, Tom Lyons. In a moment, we're going to meet the new VFW Department Commander. But first, it's time for the Commissioner's Corner, a weekly update from the Minnesota Department of Veterans Affairs. Now here's Interim Commissioner Brad Lindsay. Are you or do you know a veteran at risk of experiencing homelessness? Are you also having difficulty functioning in your daily life due to your health, a disability, or problems with substance use? Are these difficulties limiting your ability to work so much that it is impacting your life and your family? If so, the Minnesota Department of Veterans Affairs can help through a program called SOAR. SOAR is changing the lives of at-risk veterans, helping them access sustainable income and stable housing by applying for federal funds available through the Social Security Administration. Social Security disability benefits can help cover housing costs, assist with needed health care, as well as help in making ends meet for veterans and their families. A SOAR representative will handle everything from preparing the paperwork to assisting with appeals, representing the veteran throughout the entire process, all at no cost. For more information about the SOAR program or to refer someone, call 1-888-LINK-VET. Thank you, Commander Lindsay. Thank for more information, please go to minnesotamilitaryradio.com. As I said, uh, as we opened, uh, we're now going to meet the uh, Department of Minnesota Commander of the Veterans of Foreign Wars, uh, Dan Meyer. Dan, welcome to Minnesota Military Radio. Thank you, Tom. It's great to be here. Dan, uh, congratulations on uh, getting uh, elected to the post of uh, Minnesota's state commander for the VFW in June 2023. I understand uh, you're a veteran of the United States Army. Yes, I actually went into the delayed entry program in 1986. I actually went to basic training in 1987, did two years active duty, and because when I went in, they had a two-by-four program, so I went two years active duty. Then I was supposed to put four years in in the Army Reserve, and I thought it was so much fun, so I put another 18 into the Army Reserve. Yeah, and I understand you were deployed a couple times. Yes, when I got out of active duty the first time in 89, joined the reserve unit, and by November of 90, we were right back on active duty orders, going to uh, Saudi Arabia for Operation Desert Shield slash Desert Storm. And then again to Afghanistan. Yes. And then <clears throat> in um, 2004 to 2005, I was in Afghanistan for the kind of the buildup. And, Dan, uh, I can see that you've been quite involved in the veteran service organizations since you get back, and we're going to talk about the VFW in a moment, but I understand you've been post commander for a couple other groups. Yes. Uh, I got elected as a post commander for the VFW, and I've been doing that for 17 years straight because I really enjoy what I do. And I've also been uh, a Legion post commander in post 205, and Chapter 15 DAV Commander. Well, very good. You've been pretty active since you since you got out and and, and got uh, involved in the veteran service organizations. How did you How did you come to work your way up through the chairs of the VFW? 
Well, it started when I became a post commander. They want you to go to district meetings. Well, I'm in the third district of the VFW, which is the southwest corner of Minnesota. And there's a lot of small VFW posts. And they talked me in, well, maybe you should uh, go through the district chairs. So I did the district chairs, and I was district commander in 13 through 15. When I got done with that, well, maybe you'd be interested in running, doing some department chairmanships. And then I told a friend of mine, I said, <clears throat> you know, the writing is on the wall when you have nobody running against a person when they're running for a department chair or department office. He goes, well, put your money where your mouth is. Why don't you run? So then I ran against our past department commander for judge advocate. And you must have just uh, kept winning because you worked your all the way up to the state of Minnesota department commander for VFW. Yes. Yeah, so four years through the chairs and accumulated with the department commander. And um, I'm very honored and humbled that to have this position. We're speaking with Dan Meyer, uh, VFW department commander of Minnesota on Minnesota Military Radio. Dan, uh, four years going through the chairs, there's a lot more to learn about what goes on in the VFW throughout Minnesota than most people would think, isn't there? Yes, there is. Um, being the department commander, we have a lot of Zoom meetings with every department commander. So we have 52 department commanders in the United States and the national VFW. We have meetings that we brainstorm each other and get good ideas. And one of the best ones, I think, is uh, we wanted to change the public's perception of what the VFW really is. And the public's perception of the, what the VFW really is is they think, well, it's a good place to get cheap beer. When in reality, the VFW does a lot more. And Dan, we met you recently up at Camp Ripley. You were up there with the other uh, commanders of the veteran service organizations for a training session with the Minnesota Department of Veterans Affairs. And they had a lot of people in. We were up there to talk about the radio. I know the uh, director from the Minneapolis VA healthcare system was up there. There's uh, there was a lot of things uh, to get caught up on in that training session as well. Oh yes, there's so much opportunities for veterans. Um, you have to do a lot of research, and I'm glad that the MDVA puts on that training for us to learn what we can actually bring back to our departments to help assist our veterans and their families. So, Dan, can you tell us about the VFW here in Minnesota? How many posts you have and approximately how many members? We have <clears throat> just uh, a hair under 200 posts, and we're at a little over 28,000 members. My goal for this year is hopefully to get to 30,000 members because – Membership is one of the criteria, or not necessarily criteria, but it helps when we do legislative priorities with the Commander's Task Force and with the Veterans of Foreign Wars. So, Dan, I can remember when I came back from uh, Vietnam, I stopped into a VFW over in Hopkins, and the World War II guys were over there, and they kind of grabbed onto me and said, you got to sign up, and I did. But the question at that time was, how do we get the other Vietnam veterans to join? And, of course, we were all busy going to school and getting married and having kids. You must be asking the same questions. How can we get the young veterans that served 
uh, in in a war to come and join the VFW? Um, that is the biggest question and the biggest hurdle. But there are some VFW posts in the state of Minnesota that's doing a fabulous job of that. <clears throat> I know there's one VFW post in the Twin Cities metro area. Their post commander is 34 years old, and all his line officers are 55 or younger. They're stepping up. They had some good mentorship from the Vietnam veterans saying, now it's we ran our, we had the torch, now we're handing it off to the younger ones and see what you guys can do, and we will mentor you and keep us on the right track. And once you get those young guys uh, signed up and working on it, send them out and say, go get your buddies and bring them on in. Yes, that's what really helps is word of mouth is a better uh, membership tool than anything you could probably ever get. And that comes right back to changing what you were talking about earlier. A lot of people think uh, VFW is a place to go get that inexpensive beer, but there's a lot of good that comes out of there, a lot of programs that are supported. There's a lot of pull tab monies that support charities. There's a lot of great things going on at our VFW posts all over Minnesota. Yes. Um, there's the greatest thing I think I did was a couple of years ago when our past state commander made me the um, community service chairman. So I actually got to see what all the posts do for community service. And Minnesota VFW that year did over $2 million in community service with money donation and time spent to help the communities. No, Dan, you can't say that enough. That's a big number, and that's a lot of work spread out, spread out all over the state of Minnesota. Yes, because uh, the four pillars of the VFW is really membership, um, community, and education. Well, we're going to try to help you uh, educate uh, all our listeners all over Minnesota with that this year, Dan. We have to take a short break. We're speaking with Dan Meyer, the uh, Department of Minnesota Commander of the VFW on Minnesota Military Radio. Please stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Minnesota Military Radio. I'm your host, Tom Lyons. We've been talking to the VFW Department of Minnesota Commander, Dan Meyer. And, Commander, we were talking uh, on the first segment there about uh, membership. And uh, one of the ways membership is important is there's another organization in Minnesota called the Commander's Task Force, which is made up of the commanders of all of the veteran service organizations, such as VFW, DAV, American Legion, Purple Hearts, and so on. There's eight of them. And that's a place where you combine the memberships of all the veteran service organizations, pull them together, put together a list of legislative priorities, and then go up to the Capitol and represent your combined membership when you're talking to our elected officials. Pretty important. Oh, yes, it's very important. Can you tell us, uh, you've got any information uh, I'm sure you got some leftover legislative priorities from last year, and now in the next few months, uh, you and your fellow commanders are going to be working on those. Actually, in the state of Minnesota, it is very veteran-friendly. Um, the legislative priorities that we brought up last year, most of them did get passed. There's a few that did not, but what we wanted to do is try to help out not only the veterans, but their families. Because when we uh, talk about veterans and their service, because with service comes sacrifice, not only did the veterans sacrifice for his country, so did their family members. So we want to have legislation 
both for the veteran and their families. And, Commander, the last two years at the legislature, we were lucky enough to have separate veterans omnibus bills, which means they're working on veterans issues separate and aside from any other political issues might be there. And it gives the legislators an opportunity to say, okay, we're just working on veterans issues now, and and it takes all the politics out of it. I'm sure you're going to go for a third year in a row and try to make that the norm. It is, because actually I went to FarmFest down by Gilfell and Estates by Morgan, Minnesota, and I did have an opportunity to talk to Governor Walls while he was there, and I told him, I said, as the commander of the VFW, we are going to push for that ominous bill because that is the way it should be because we are not pawns in some political game. <clears throat> and he probably agreed with you because we asked him that question on the air from the state fair, and he said that's his intention, to have a separate veterans omnibus bill. So I would ask our listeners, as you see your elected officials from the Capitol, from the state Capitol this year, bring it up to them, tell them how important it is. Exactly. It is very important um, because that pretty much puts all political policy or political uh, fighting aside. And we just get to work and deal with veterans issues. Which is a great place to be. Commander, we've got a couple more topics. Quickly, can you tell us about Voice of Democracy? The Voice of Democracy and uh, Patriots Pen are two of the top uh, scholarship programs that the VFW has. Um, it's open to any student. The Voice of Democracy is open to any student in high school, ninth through senior. They <clears throat> do an essay on a patriotic topic. It's due to your local VFW on October 31st, and Patriots Pen is open to sixth through eighth graders in any, any sixth through eighth grader if they're private, public, or homeschooled. Any one of these are open to any student in the state of Minnesota, and there are some <clears throat> big money that can be awarded. And Minnesota does fabulous on the Voice of Democracy and Patriots pen. The last four years, we've had a first-place winner, a second-place winner, a fourth-place winner, and a sixth-place winner. So Minnesota does a fabulous job on these topics. We like to, I would like to be able to escort the national winner again up on stage at Washington, D.C. in March. So for our listeners, go to your local VFW and ask about Voice of Democracy or Patriots Pen. They'll give you some more information on that. Commander, we only got about a minute and a half left, but uh, it's tradition for the department commander to have a commander's project. Can you tell us about yours for this year? <clears throat> My commander's project is a joint with, with also with the auxiliary, and our project is Veterans on the Water, and Warriors and Walleyes. Both organizations take veterans fishing for free. We do live in the state of 10,000 lakes. And to me, <clears throat> fishing is very relaxing and rewarding, even if you don't catch any fish. When you are out on the lake or on the pontoon with other veterans, shooting the bull, just relaxing and giving back to nature. So, Commander, there's something to be said for getting our veterans and our disabled veterans out of the house out into the fresh air and, and uh, chasing around some fish. Yes. So it's great to know that the VFW here in Minnesota has some programs to promote that. And if they want to find more information, do they just Google uh, the Veterans of Foreign Wars Department of Minnesota, go to your website, and uh, do you have information there? Yes, there is. Uh, 
All you have to do is look up the Commander's Project, and all the information for both organizations are on that website. Very good, Commander. we just got a few seconds left. Any final thoughts for our listeners? Um, if you are not a member and you were thinking about becoming a member of the VFW, please join. And if you are not eligible for the VFW, but you are eligible for any of the other organizations, join them as well, well because numbers matter when it comes to legislative priorities. And stay tuned for more information about Veterans Day on the Hill uh, coming up right after the first of the year. It's your opportunity to go up to the state legislature with uh, the commander and, and all of the rest of the commander's task force. Dan, I'd like to thank you for joining us today on Minnesota Military Radio. Thank you for having me, Tom. That was Dan Meyer, the VFW commander for the Department of Minnesota. Joining me now is Director Pat Kelly from the Minneapolis VA Healthcare System. Director Kelly, welcome back to Minnesota Military Radio. Yeah, hi, Tom. I'm glad to be with you. Director, I'd like to thank you. We were out uh, to your office last week to record a special show. It's going to be our 700th show of Minnesota Military Radio. And you uh, arranged for some really special guests and, and a show where we could talk uh, a lot about the VA and all the things going on. Yeah, you know, it was it, it's so much fun having you out here, Tom, and it's always a great pleasure for us to host you and Military Radio here at the VA. Next time we'll do it down in the big flag atrium so we can get more people walking up and, and, and talking to you like that we've done in times past. You know, on, on the 700th show, I, I just want to mention, you know, again, congratulations, of course, first of all. But secondly, um, it was a great show. And the reason, the, the, you know, the VA secretary, you know, Secretary McDonough is from Stillwater, and he's a St. John's graduate and, and uh, really a strong advocate for veterans and Minnesota veterans. And so I, I know, as we talked about, you know, he is such an impressive guy, and he knows so much about our Minnesota uh, Minnesota area veterans to include, uh, you know, what's going on with PACT Act, what's going on with benefits, uh, everything going on here at the medical center. Uh, it was really great. I mean, he was just so much fun having him on the show. And, of course, uh, Kim Graves, the executive director over at the VBA, and, and some of the updates on what's going on with, with veterans' benefits, much of which is pretty good news, you know, was was really uh, uh, fun and uh, interesting, too. And so it, it, was a, it was a great show. I'm really happy we're able to do that here. And, Director, I think uh, for those that tune in next week, they're going to find out that the PACT Act, which was passed by Congress, uh, gave the opportunity for a million veterans to sign up for care that they had earned. And, of course, that has ramifications because uh, you got that many more claims that you have to deal with at the Veterans Benefits Administration, and you've got many more veterans that you have to be ready to take care of at the VA uh, health care system. So uh, I'm asking my favorite question, are you hiring, sir? Yeah, you know, we, we better be hiring. We've got, uh, it was it, the, you know, the PACT Act has been really terrific in that a lot of veterans who have gotten the word and have signed up. And so, you know, some new veterans enrolling in VA health care, many, many other veterans who've sort of expanded uh, their their benefit and their and in many cases expanded pensions and and, and uh, compensation for their uh, toxic exposures. So you know we've done sixty thousand toxic exposure screens, and we're going to keep doing them. So so I want veterans to keep coming here and uh, take advantage of the veter the benefit that they have earned. Come to the medical center. And even though one deadline or two have passed for the PACT Act, it's still open. Uh, veterans can still apply. They can still come out and take that toxic exposure test. So keep going. Yeah. Uh, Director, we got about a minute left. Uh, it's fall, so October's right here. Uh, flu shots, COVID shots, uh, is, it, is it shot clinic season? 
all, all of the above, Tom. So we've got uh, we have several dates that so you can see it on our website. You know where we have uh, walk-in flu clinics uh, going on here at the medical center and in our community-based clinics. And so those those are coming up. Uh, first one actually is this afternoon or for the afternoon rather of 28 September. And and others then you know following about every week after that they you can always get it with their with their primary care doctor too when they schedule an appointment, but you know recommending uh, for those that uh, get the COVID vaccine and I, I I do and I recommend it for veterans especially those in a high risk category uh, like like me uh, over age 65, it, it's a good thing to do and it's going to be available. We are not quite doing that yet, but we are just it's imminent. We're going to be doing it any time. And, of course, you know, the RSV for, for veterans, because, you know, it's just that time of year when there's more people are indoors, there's more spread of viruses, you know, more masking uh, we're doing here in the medical center. It's not required, but there's just more exposure to infectious uh, uh, disease and, and uh, airborne things. And so good good thing to do, always. So, Director, if they miss the shot clinic, they can always get those shots when they visit with their primary care or come out for another visit. Yeah. And, and of course, many of them can get them right out at their local uh, CVS or other Walgreens or others, and a lot of times they're even free of charge. Director, thanks for joining us again uh, today, and thanks for having us out last week. Pleasure, Tom. Thank you. That was Director Pat Kelly from the Minneapolis VA Healthcare System. We have one mention today. Be a hero to our hometown heroes. Beyond the Yellow Ribbon and Meals from the Heart are partnering to provide groceries for the holidays for those in need in our Minnesota military community. The goal is to raise $70,000 for this effort to help visit helpingmnheroes.org. That's helpingmnheroes.org. We're just about out of time. Thanks for listening to this edition of Minnesota Military Radio. I'd like to thank our guests for joining us this week, Representative Dean Phillips, Dan Meyer, VFW Department Commander, Director Pat Kelly from the Minneapolis VA Healthcare System, Interim Commissioner Brad Lindsay from the Minnesota Department of Veterans Affairs, and finally, Minnesota's Adjutant General, Major General Sean Mankey. Please join us next week as we play out our 700th show from the Minneapolis VA Medical Center. That's coming up next weekend on this station or online anytime at minnesotamilitaryradio.com. I'm Tom Lyons, and I hope that you make a difference in someone's life this week. Minnesota Military Radio is a production of iHeartMedia, the Minnesota Department of Veterans Affairs, the Minneapolis VA, Beyond the Yellow Ribbon, and the Minnesota National Guard. Your host is Tom Lyons, founder and owner of Phelan Partners Limited, a merger and acquisition advisory firm. Tom is a life member of the American Legion, VFW, Vietnam Veterans of America, and the DAV. For podcasts and the latest updates, follow us at Minnesota. MilitaryRadio.com.